So I have close to 1000 people currently in my team. We support north of 80,000 employees and end users across 200 plus global sites as well as tens of millions of customers who subscribe to our services every day. Today, we're speaking with Rashmi Kumar, who is HPE's CIO. Give us a sense of what your role as CIO encompasses. Classic CIO role from um, telecom infrastructure to end-user computing to data center network cybersecurity enablement to driving large digital transformation, not only at the core of the company from beginning to end of our value chain, but at the same time, helping the company pivot to our new business models. From a CIO perspective, what changed? How did the role change over this last 18 months? It has changed how customers now view every company in a different way. And gone are the days when CIOs are put in a box of back-end operations to keep the lights on. That's kind of, if you look about a degree, those are the minors where we need to get A to graduate to the majors, which are driving digital transformation and significant enhancement in the way company delivers value to the to the customers. At, at the depth of CIO's operating model, we need both. We need that operational excellence where we keep the lights on, we provide all the technological services to customer and um, employees, but at the same time, graduate to become the um, digital advisor of the company. We can talk more about it eventually, but I personally feel that CIOs need to think like COOs because there is nobody in the company who is looking across connecting the dots of the silos, which are purpose-built to make different operational group within the company successful. I know that HPE itself has been undergoing a very significant transformation. Can you tell us about that and and really weave in the, the role of the CIO Ultimately, where I want to get to is what's where is the CIO trajectory going into 2022? But tell us about what's happening at HP, HPE. I'll talk about one program which we call HP Next, which is one of the large-scale transformations happening today. This is an industry-leading transformation pro- program transforming literally an 85-year-old company that we are and 30-year-old processes that we have. It builds on the largest SAP, S4, and 60 other related ecosystem technologies, which will deliver significant value to customer and overall company, and will set up the core and the foundation to make us edge to cloud platform as a service company. It kind of simplifies 100 plus business processes. HP was this large 110, $120 billion company, and now we are a sub $30 billion company. So Antonio had this realization when he took on as CEO that he cannot run a $29 billion company on a $120 billion company infrastructure and the infrastructure which hasn't been improved and looked at from process perspective in the last couple of decades. So we started trying to transform every area of our core, talking about single source of truth for customers, for partners, for products, entire sales life cycle, entire customer life cycle, 
thinking through orders, configure price code, master data across all, all the subject areas. It delivers now competitive sales codes in real time with low touch or no uh, from our employees. Automation is enhanced and easier for our customer and partners to get stay informed about as they interact with us. And then it it creates a creates a foundation, it creates the ecosystem on which now we will be able to increase or do better in our MA integration activity, as well as build strategically to our strategic pivot to as a service company. Because that would not have happened in the fragmented backend that we had before. So you're really rethinking the company across the board. And, and are you looking across all the different functions of the company or how do you approach something like this? Yeah, so it's across the functions, across the um, traditional setup of we are a global company. So are we still running across the region or we want to look at unified process across all the regions? How do we take away inefficiencies in those processes and make it faster And then really thinking outside in from customers and sometimes our channel partner perspective, what they're looking for. And look, I'm talking about it confidently here. It's not easy. It's not easy to take a 85-year-old company, which has a very different mindset, and our partners who are themselves busy in their own transformation to pull them together to create that end-to-end more efficient ecosystem uh, from process and tech perspective. It's very interesting to hear you describe the importance of that outside-in thinking, because we tend to think of the CIO role as being inward-facing. And yet the moment you start weaving in these additional outside stakeholders, it changes how the, the CIO actually functions and the role of IT. There are frameworks and trainings that companies have brought in and out of how they work. I started from the TQM, Total Quality Improvement Program. I have worked at Toyota, so I've looked at Kaizen, Six Sigma at many places, and now it's the design thinking. All these frameworks from the get-go talks about voice of customer, right? Value stream maps. Understand where you are delivering value to customer. And I don't understand being CIOs. Our purpose should be to put customer first and not have a technology driver Uh, a decision around how we do implement that technology. Let's have your customer drive the technology. And, you know, I work a lot with the startup ecosystem as well and companies and coaching. And this is what I talk about with them as well. Try to Don't try to solve a technology problem. Try to solve a customer problem. Um, Product market fit that Andreessen talks about. It's really important for us, CIO, to keep our mindset very nimble and think like an entrepreneur as we want to leapfrog our companies, which mostly I work for traditional companies, into that next generation of companies, which we are competing with right now. So then how do you reconcile the fact that the IT information technology is focused on the technology, and yet you're saying focus on the customer problem rather than the technology problem? So how do you bring these together? If even you talk about data science, right? Data science is a three-pronged problem. It's the knowledge of the technology and the platform, knowledge of the data, but the SME knowledge of the business process. 
that's where the leading change happened in the AIML world. That's kind of a microchasm of the overall role of, of CIO. I will, I will add another thing in transformation. And when I say that CIOs need to think like COOs, the reason is that individual business unit leader, if all of you look at your executive committee level, they are optimized to be successful in their silos because they're driven by PNL, they're driven by quarter. We have the luxury to connect the dots across them and transform, again, thinking from outside in, customer in. And it doesn't matter if you're doing an end user role, right? You're looking at collaboration tool. Always think from your employee as a customer there and think about what they're looking for because the market is crowded. You can bring Zoom in, Slack in, Teams in, Skype is still there, Web, <laughs> WebEx. What really your employees need from that perspective and how do you do it most cost effectively while using the best technology? That's where the success sits. So correct me if I'm wrong, is the issue then, number one, understanding the uh, business strategy, number two, understanding the uh, shall we say, customer expectations. Number three, understanding the tools and technologies and how we can weave those together to address the points, the business needs and the customer requirements. Thank you. You said this way more eloquently than I said. But <laughs> thank you for doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. So as you go through this kind of process, you touched on this, but but how do you how do you begin? Like, what's the planning process for this, and where does IT fit into that? I grew up in the architecture world, so I have spent a lot of time in building vision and strategy and roadmaps. And you know, I'm classically trained to start at a value chain of the company. You take a look at how do we serve business? And the approach is not unique to technology company. I've worked in utilities. I've worked in financial services. I've worked in entertainment. And in every business today, the way customer want to consume services is changing in unprecedented speed. If you look at entertainment, it has become about content. It's no more about the um, DVDs or theaters and things like that. If you Look at um, car, now it's mobility problem. It's not a car problem. If you look at uh, um, utilities, they're building data flow along with electronic electron flow and, and the business models are changing. So as we think about what do we need in our employees, in our resources to be able to drive this is to start at how company serves its customer. And that's what I call the value chain. Go down to the next level and understand the capabilities we have enabled by technology and where do we see gaping holes. The other layer of complexity that brings in that very quickly this two-dimensional problem becomes a three-dimensional problem, right? Because now you have different business unit, which through the same value chain is delivering same set of services. So how do you bring homogeneity in it? And if you look at HP Next, same thing, we had separate systems running hardware sales, separate system running services sale, separate systems running network sale and, and customer support. And that does not give a unified experience. So if I'm able to explain it kind of visually, then it's the business value stream 
is the capabilities below it and the technologies that support it and the layers of pro- different product or services that you have and start thinking in a unified way to consolidate those capabilities to co- through common set of technologies. Because now that brings in another horizontal layer where you can do cybersecurity better, you can gather data better to drive better analytics about your uh, customers and products and your ability to serve them. You can create common infrastructure versus having fragmentation and creating spider web of integration across it. It sounds hard, but the next piece comes after this is prioritization. What are the key value stream area where you need to bring in technologically driven transformation faster to get the maximum customer value? And if you did this framework right, you can come up with a heat map which will drive your prioritization decision. And then it comes to funding. A lot of us CIOs drive a lot of decision based on funding decision. And that is not the right way to do it because then you're not spending that precious dollars um, which is given to you by your stakeholder into solving the right problems if you don't have the framework in mind to do so. You are describing an approach that is much more strategic than I often hear IT talked about. And it does sound very hard. I mean, you you've, you simplify it and you explain it so well, but I'm just thinking getting to the point where you have that heat map and then getting buy-in from all the different stakeholders, because there are so many, to agree on the priorities, it seems like a kind of monumental task. Yeah. And that's why CIO's own organizational operating model, and I'm not calling it an org model, right? Operating model is very critical because as CIOs, we need to do that first for ourselves. And I'll bring our focus to, we spend a lot of time on operations team and getting deals together with our partners to deliver on that operation, maintain the four nines availability. We spend a lot of time in applications creation and maintenance and support, but very little time on our architecture teams and our office of the CIO team, right? Those two operating model component of CIO organization are key to build and make sure that they have the right relationships with your operating organization and application creation build organization. And it becomes even more important in the future of agile workforce in IT where we are going uh, or product organization where we are going towards, right? Because we need to think about those products and the feature set and the enhancement that we want to bring in, again, through a bigger, longer-term roadmap lens. So how do you balance the short-term, long-term? That's the part becomes important. And having a strong architecture team, interacting with your business leaders, making them think beyond the quarter, at least a year, if not two years out, and then have Office of the CIO portfolio management team drive investment decision through architectural input. It's a machinery which is not easy, but we get bigger success if that works. And it's very hard to work. How do you accomplish that, especially with uh, senior business executives who are, who are running functional parts of the company that are less technical? Maybe they're, maybe they're in sales or whatever, whatever it might be, or in finance. The way I handle it is first have them 
clearly define them for them, their touch points, right? So one is business relationship management, program management, build and maintain type function. The other piece is this architectural function where we set that up saying, hey, this will drive our longer term discussion. And they like it, right? Because it modifies the way we do long-term planning because now we have structured input to make into it versus having a kind of a knee-jerk reaction to say, I'm scrambling, I got $10 million, I need to go spend on this capability versus bringing in understanding for longer-term perspective that we need to do these things as well as pivot faster when things happen in the business and we need to change something quickly. The second piece of more um, operating tactical pieces is I engage with them at quarterly basis. And most of my EC members join those calls. We call it QBR. And I talk about, granted, we have a lot of operational issues because we are straddling legacy data center, new data center. We are going through massive amount of change through S4 and um, related HP Next program. But the purpose of the QBR is to focus on longer term. If to look at your three-year roadmap, to look at your long-term plan and talk about the investment prioritization. And that has worked, it, that has worked very, very well. And we have business unit leader, their finance leader, their CEOs, their um, different BU heads underneath them join. And my finance person, architecture, business relationship, infrastructure person join. And we are now on a trajectory. And I did this previously as my architect role as well to talk about those, to look at the success, how far we have come and measure ourselves in a very uh, quantifiable way. And how do you get buy-in from various folks who see the priorities differently than you because they want their part of the company to be prioritized because after all, it's my department and we're responsible for X, Y, or Z. And without us, this company doesn't exist. And so you need to do that which gets us up and running fast and better. The other aspect is how come I'm strangled by IT transformation that needed, right? So I'll, I'll use this example. So this HP Next program is in its three, third year, completing almost third year now, major heavy lift. Um, we are also doing data center move. So applications need to migrate and we are going towards a new identity and access management solution. So all these are very operational tasks, very strategic, but it's not bringing extra customer value. And the leaders are asking me, how long are you going to strap me with this and not let me do customer differentiating, competition differentiating work, right? So the the challenge there is it's identifying the right level of resourcing. And it's not about dollars and cents. It's about people, their bandwidths. It's about technological platforms being available to drive change. The way I have been doing is is the larger um, lofty programs that our customers want to do on top of these initiatives is breaking them those up in smaller pieces. So some of these supply chain stuff, inventory management, forecasting planning that we wanted to get on, we spent this fiscal year, which is ending in October, really setting up the foundation for it and talking about it, getting everybody aligned. And now as we plan to kick off the program, my request to our CEO was let's talk through different areas. Let's do a analysis and requirements phase first, instead of getting on a turnkey large program out of the gate. And that that concept is kind of finding its ground with, with the leaders because 
they have also understood that just embarking upon yet another large program is not going to ensure that we will successfully complete it. So what I'm saying is there is no secret. It's more about that close touch relationship and keeping each other posted about what are their priorities, but what's the art of possible in the current scenario to make it work. It requires, demands a very collaborative approach where you are working to with them so that they understand your constraints and you understand their goals to try to then optimize it, the best solution that covers everybody. Is that a way to put it? Absolutely. So it's about teamwork. It's coming together. It's keeping them posted because, you know, IT programs are complex and it takes time. It takes a lot of money. Always some folks think, oh, I can do this better than IT, right? So how do you keep them posted about the progress, about the successes that we have seen, as well as the challenges um, that's coming our way? And in, in this new world, which has happened in last, I would say, five months, where somebody mentioned this, um, that there is no more war, of ta- war on talent. Talent has won, right? And <laughs> in this world, but when it's extremely rare resource, how do we deploy them successfully in the areas which will bring in maximum benefit for the company? Now, you mentioned earlier, you spoke about budget and you said something to the effect of not being, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, not being subject to the tyranny of budget, but to be more strategic. Can you elaborate on that? That seems like a very important point. The office of the CIO and architecture functions that I talked about, right? So, if they work well um, together, then you can come to a better discipline around how my run budget is performing, how my um, discretionary dollars are performing, and how can I make my run more efficient to fund some of the innovations that the company need, right? And when I say innovation, it does not have to be customer differentiating business programs only. Innovation could be in back office operations also to make it more resilient. It could be providing better APM capability, better regression testing in the organization, or even better um, infrastructure automation, right? Where we can look, going to public cloud or a private cloud does not give you automation out of the box. End of the day, your organization needs to make it happen. So how do you think constantly think about continuous improvement and how do I take cost out from my day-to-day run organization to feed into the future operations? And when you have that liberty or you have even extra dollar to put towards future innovation, then comes the prioritization framework that I talked about that which business capabilities are higher revenue driving, but not getting enough attention from technology perspective? And how do I give it priority and go fix some of this stuff? It sounds like this is a kind of ongoing process for you and your team to be looking at how things are done to figure out where can we remove costs, but at the same time, not degrade the service level that we have to provide. Absolutely. And we have a lot of tools at our hands, right? The advancement that has happened in AIML or intelligent process automation or the tools that are coming from for developer productivity to for have them kind of a unique view across end-to-end ecosystem of so system development lifecycle. There are 
capabilities now in the marketplace. It's about us around how do I use them? How do I encourage my teams to be a continuous learner, to understand how the technology is evolving and where are the places to bring efficiencies in current process? That's always very challenging to, they, you know, they, they say do more with less, which generally means uh, just save money at all costs. But if you approach it that way, then you're not thinking about the innovation side, which is actually ultimately more important in terms of the long-term health of the, of the organization. Look, that is squeezing our partners to do cheaper AMS or telling our businesses to not or, and not responding to tickets on the right time. Those times are over, right? Those, what I call is uh, froth in our operational uh, efficiencies are gone. Those were like 10 years ago. Now we have streamlined a ton. And the only way we will achieve better operational efficiencies is to bring in more automation in some way or the better insight, better automation, drive our partners. If we use partners to do um, operations, to bring in more operational excellence, write even contracts in a different way, which incentivize them to make it more efficient versus more inefficient, right? So when I look at these things and how technology is driving different type of business outcome, it's also a huge team sports, right? It's the operations team, the architecture team, the finance team, the vendor management team, all of us working together, as well as reaching across our partner communities and asking them of what unique capabilities they can bring to the table so that I can make it better going forward. Rashmi, how does this all feed into where the CIO role is going into 2022? And how do you see things evolving and changing? So as we look at 22, we talk a lot about backend and operations. I'm not saying it's not important. What I'm saying is these are table stakes. We have to do it in a perfect way to be able to keep our seat at the table and then drive leadership across different areas of your business to think about outside in. Be that what I call my team as you guys are all digital enablers of the company. And I understand, look, market marketing put together the front end that our customers interact with and user experience and e-commerce platforms provide that tool for them to interact with us. But everything behind that is driven by IT today. Just having a shiny portal is not going to make our customers happy. They want to understand what kind of price I'm paying and why I'm paying this where is my order in the process? If it's delivered, where it is delivered. You know, Amazon has brought in a B2C mindset, which now also reflects on B2B because now our consumers in B2B comes from a B2C experience and they want to get the same experience on B2B side. And we all as CIOs are responsible for creating that experience. And it's not only user experience, the front end, but the entire backend of the company, which needs to change to be able to do that. And as CIOs, it's our responsibility to make it happen. Second point I would make is, as CIOs, we need to be very cognizant of every dollar that we spend and make sure it goes to the right purpose for the company to bring in that improvement. Then we need to be talent magnets. 
we need to make sure that not only we hire um, the right talent, diverse talent, do the right thing um, for, for the planet, but at the same time, also drive engagement. So not only hire, but develop and retain um, the talent because this is the most critical area on the globe right now is the technology talent and the unique capability that we have to connect business needs, customer needs, and, and technology. And then last but not the least, I would add here, it's a lofty goal. I think a lot of CIOs are not thinking about it, but how we are contributing towards the agenda of ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance, right? We run technology and that does uh, create sustainability issue. And that's why I'm so proud to work for HP because we build technologies which are keeping kind of cars off the road, right? <laughs> like reducing the carbon generation. And there is a huge amount of excitement within HP as a company to drive that purpose. And our GreenLake solution, um, I was a judge for an innovation quest this year where we will hopefully start publishing ESG data out of our solutions to say um, how you as a company by using GreenLake is driving um, reduction in carbon footprint. And similarly, the whole social piece is extremely important because if you want to retain and attract talent, you need to have that strategy around where you are inclusive, where you are making feel want, making people feel that they are wanted in this organization and you're in, investing in their growth and development. So sorry, I went from a whole spectrum, but I wanted to take it a little higher than just the technology, but talk about other um, areas that we need to be cognizant as leaders. You've got two things, it sounds to me, going on at the same time. One is you have the, the business transformation that you were describing earlier, but then at the same time, you have, let's just call the innovation goals, as you were just describing, including ESG, including customer experience. And so how do you then keep these two layers working forward in sync, making sure that you're giving equal attention or necessary attention to both? Both of it needs to work um, in balance. Otherwise, we will not be um, successful uh, together, right? So if you look at the ERP type transformation, I always say this and nothing against SAP or Oracle, but when you go to a new ERP, I say from business process perspective, it does not take our business forward. It actually takes them to a step backward because typically in an ERP, which has been running for 20 years in your company, People develop manual workarounds, Excel spreadsheet to make their life easier. And as you go to a new ERP, all that goes out. So you need to help them again think and, and make the process efficient. And hopefully through the same technological platform versus fragmenting it through various manual workarounds. And that's where the innovation piece come in, right? So one is definitely on the operation side and operational excellence, but at the same time, in what you achieve through transformation, now, how you keep it alive, because it's not one and done like 20 years ago, where you implemented an SAP and you just run it for 20 till it die. Now you need to make these things a platform for innovation and drive all your future decision through better architecture planning and portfolio planning through Office of the CIO to invest in growing that. The other piece is it makes your MA easier, but it takes better integration mindset to say, as I'm bringing companies in, I'm going to bring them on my unified platform and integrate them quickly. 
because that's one channel where it disintegrates very fast and you start seeing footprints coming on. So very happy to report that pre-HP Next program, we had almost 1,200 applications and we have already retired close to 400 of it. And the plan is to go to less than 500, hopefully by end of 2023. And that's a lofty goal, but that's on, on one way, it seems like, oh, it's a count, but it's not. It's actually simplifying the landscape so that we can do better innovation going forward. So that's why I say these are not mutually exclusive, but if you can make it collectively exhaustive, it will reap benefits in future. We have an interesting question from Twitter, which is how did the pandemic change or complicate IT leadership, as well as collaborating with your peers across the company? I'm fortunate to be on this digital transformation journey and the company pivot to digital product from physical product. That really sounds weird, right? We are a tech company. <laughs> Why we were not digital? No, we used to sell boxes and access point from network perspective and storage, and which were very physical, right? And now we will do it as a as a service, but we were already on that journey, but the companies which were not on that journey, they need to think differently about their product and services. One, they need to have, even if it's a physical product, it needs to have very digital tracking across its uh, life cycle so that customers understand what's going on, right? And if you, and if you are fortunate enough to become a digital company, where now you are selling subscription projects, products, congratulations, because your market cap will definitely go up. They are all looking for subscription type models. But to make subscription, uh, to pivot to a subscription type model, it takes a whole different level of digital transformation to be run by CIOs. And that's their responsibility. I really let Subway head of IT talk about it, that when COVID had just happened, how they have put up a very manually automated process for people to come to the door of the subway and ring a bell so that they can get an order while they created the tracking and the app and everything. So I think that was a great step, right? Because if you don't take that first step, you will never get to that second step. So if COVID did not create that urgency, create that urgency in your mind of leadership, right? Now come to the virtual collaboration. So we are a global company. Um, the day we locked down, which was 14th March, I remember vividly. My worry wasn't, will everybody have VPN and Skype access? Fortunate to have a very smart infrastructure team who from January, the Beijing event started thinking, if this happens globally, what we will do and strengthen the infrastructure. But my challenge was that was a major release for our HP Next program. And I had almost 2,500 people across the globe working. Earlier, we would do command center in Houston, in Bucharest and in Bangalore to run that release. And here we go, we, we had to run it uh, virtually. And I must thank my team that it went flawlessly because I think that global company rigor created that in people's mind, their ability to interact virtually. I completely agree though, at the leadership level with the executive committee, what takes us two or three hours to solve in virtual world would have taken five or 10 minutes if we could stand in front of a whiteboard together and, and solution it. So now we are slowly going back to in-person. We opened our offices on July 19th, but then the whole Delta scare happened. So 
attendance still low, but we are now creating little task force type teams where we are bringing them together to define future um, roadmap of activities that we are taking right now. Let's shift gears slightly because I have to ask you, what's it like working as a CIO in such a male dominated field, especially, especially engineering? HPE is such a tech technology focused organization. Look, I did my engineering degree in metallurgical engineering exactly 30 years ago. <laughs> and I went to work for a steel company as a metallurgical engineer where uh, we went through a one-year training. And at the time of placement, I wanted to work in steel melting shop. And I wasn't given that opportunity, but <laughs> I was told point blank, it's a great company to work for. I was at Tata Steel. No, we'll not put a 22-year-old girl on a shop floor. I was like, why? Oh, no, the outages happen in the middle of the night. He's like, I'll come in the middle. And no, no, there are 300 labor. You know, there was a big discussion, but then I went to R&D. Um, and that gave me opportunity to get into more technology and steel making. So I'm fortunate that happened. But you know what? I never thought that steel making is a male-dominated engineering company, and I should not be one of them which I think is today's female are struggling more because we talk about it a lot, right? I would say I would say when you work, and I've been junior member, now I'm a senior member, I think as leadership, they want people who can create results and drive higher value for them. And that's what has made me successful. When I work on a piece of work, and you might have gotten a little bit through my description here, I'm not tunnel vision focused on my part of the work. I look at up and down, left and right, and see what other areas this piece of work will impact. And that creates a different level of understanding of the ecosystem. And I have always made my manager's life easier and given them more value for them to provide to the company. So I have, I might be a little naive, means there has been incidents here and there, but in general, I think if we keep focus on driving results for the companies, actually leaders are just pleased to see us performing at that level. And that's what I tell my peers and um, the people who I mentored or I get mentored from, that America is a culture of performance and delivery. And let's minus the noise that happens around you about who you are and how you look and how you behave. And let's focus on the deliverable and the work. And I personally drive it that way. At HPE, prior to this at McKesson, um, prior to that at Toyota or Southern California Edison, those companies have been in the forefront of driving equality in the, in the workforce. And they have tried hard. And I'm very pleased to see the advancement. Definitely, we should have made more advancement. But I think I need to go back to more grassroots levels to bring it. I'm happy to report as I got on the journey last March also to hire 1,000 more people, made it a focus. And what it took is having HP to give me resources to drive that focus. How do we make it popular, bring in the roles? At one time, I recruited 40% female in India recruiting, which is hard to beat for myself now. But it takes extra effort at every level to, to make it happen. I hope I'm able to answer your question. I jumped around a little bit. Yeah, no, it's great. Perfect. So how much of the success of women in male-dominated engineering industries, how much of the success 
is due to their the the nature of their organization as you just described you you were supported it sounds like versus their own activity and initiative i think it's a combination i absolutely think it's a it's a combination it does take a little extra hustle a little extra i call it deliberate effort on um, networking and letting people know that you are here and here is what you can provide to the company or to the community reaching out not only to internal network and external network look i'm not only a person of color i'm not only a female i'm not only an executive i'm also an immigrant so i don't have my school network here i don't have my college network here so how do i build that how do I, i i talk about it as having a board of director for yourself who nav- help you navigate the corporate world you know that that's true for every demographic uh, at this point um and so that part that hustle is my own is to look at my career strategically myself and think about okay companies providing all this support and everything but how do i get noticed in that space to get get future opportunities to contribute more and how does one get noticed in that way and that that's positive- a whole deliberate approach to networking to to talking to people about your caliber about your work asking for help a um, lot of my junior team members interns and new hires i talk to them and tell them reach out to folks some of them will not respond to you not because they don't want to but they're too busy but everybody wants to pay it forward and it's true at every level so outreach is my responsibility look my career plan is my career plan a company is not going to give me a career plan so if i have a career plan and i have touch points with the company where company can help me and if i go to my mentors or my sponsors and that's the difference too like it's very important to have sponsors but not just to have sponsors to tell them what i need from them to make me successful they they are eager and willing i'm eager and willing to sponsor and mentor folks but they need to come to me with very clear action around what do they need from me and and that i have done that to my sponsors and mentors and sometimes the sponsors have also shown me what what leap of faith i should take to get to that next level but having that relationship building that relationship was my responsibility and drive What are the characteristics of somebody who is a good mentee? So if somebody comes to you for example for to be a sponsor, to be a mentor, what are the characteristics that you look for? Trying to become a better one of myself or himself or herself, right? If it is about oh I'm a manager, I want to become a director, that's not the right approach because that decision depends on many other variables right how do i become so first of all really understanding who i am right what stage of life i am what kind of balance i need between my life and work what values do i have what kind of roles and companies i want to work at so that's knowing about myself second piece is really understanding who i want to be when i grow up which is the hardest part i still don't know clearly but at least know in next few years right that that who you want to be and having a very transparent conversations and asking for feedback hey i think i can do this in future do you think i can do this and somebody says yes i think you can then help me i have these three steps to be able to be successful in that 
Can you give me more that I should work on? So having that leading conversation from mentee perspective gives better result. Otherwise, it's, it becomes a conversation. You get to know yet another successful person. And that's fine too, but it'll not give you better results at the end. I know that you have given this subject of mentorship a great deal of thought. So what advice do you have for mentors in terms of uh, how to be really helpful to the people who come to you? I have done is having some kind of reverse mentoring. Because if you talk about inclusive workforce, um, the workplace have become have become diversified incredibly. And it's not only on the race or sex or region of birth, but it's from thought perspective. The experiences perspective are very different as well because talent is so difficult. People are changing roles. They're going to new areas and trying to understand how do we as mentor really become maximizer and help our mentees achieve superior results in their um, careers, we really need to understand how the market is changing. Look, we cannot just sit across the table today and talk about, oh, this Gen Y is entitled and they don't appreciate what they have <laughs> versus talking, oh, what drives a Gen Y and or Gen X and how do I need to think about getting the most about them? That happens through that reverse mentorship person. So grow yourself before you sign up to growing somebody else. Excellent and very thoughtful advice. And with that, I want to say really a heartfelt thanks to Rashmi Kumar, the Chief Information Officer of Hewlett Packard Enterprise, HPE, for taking time to be with us today. Rashmi, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Michael and CXO Talk. I really appreciate it as well. It was fun. And everybody. Thank you for watching, especially the folks who asked questions. We have great shows coming up. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the subscribe button at the top of our website so we can send you our great newsletter and check out CXOTalk.com. Have a great week, everybody. We have awesome shows coming up and we will see you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye.